fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to F Triple G B T. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology. We make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Dan, it is great to be here. So excited for this episode. Um, we're talking about the the current show, um, the current movie, but I love the original. It inspired me to propose a T-shirt to the Princeton Physics Department when I was a student. It did not get accepted. This is a little teaser for everyone. I will not tell you what that proposal was until later in the episode. Well, I can't wait. Uh, and this, uh, this, the original movie also inspired me. I wanted to become, uh, have a doctorate in parapsychology at one point, uh, which I may still do if they even offer those anymore. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of technology in this. And, of course, there's one man who could create a ghost trap or a proton power pack. And that's right. If there is one, it's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan. This week, I have ventured to an old barn in Oklahoma that is the resting place of one of the greatest feats of engineering known to man. Now, the vehicle behind me may not look like much, but it is filled to the brim with electronics and gadgets. And without it, the world as we know it would not even exist. Well, I got to tell you, if... if a truck full of gadgets and gizmos. That's right up our alley, guys. Uh, and of course, I'm looking at that. That's the Ecto One, Ben. That's you know we're gonna doing a break cover here because we're talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife. And I say this a lot, Den, and you've called me out on it before, and you're right to do so. Uh, but this is this and Back to the Future are my two favorite movies of my childhood. What I realized is that I have favorite movies from every era of my life. Uh, so I'm going to say these are the two, my favorite from my childhood. Nothing inspired me more than Ghostbusters. And this movie was a very fun sequel. I got to tell you, when I was a kid, I went to Ghostbusters 2. I saw it in the theater. I've never been more disappointed in my entire life. And this one, I wish this had been the movie that I went to see. Dan, I'm glad to hear that because I thought you were most disappointed when you watched what I recommended, which was Everything Everywhere All at Once. I'm glad I did That's not create second. your... <laughs> yeah, okay. That's second. But yeah, I, all I, I'll, I'll, I'll take second. I'm, all I'm time just glad yeah. I'm not first. <laughs> you, know, you, you, you made <laughs> yeah. me feel good there, Dan. That's what I did. You know, but I, I have to tell you, you know, I don't, I'm not good at picking favorites. But I am with you. I would just add a third movie, Star Wars, for me, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the three, Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, and Star Wars are, sure. like, from my childhood, sort of the incredibly impactful moments. They had everything I wanted between the three of them. Mm -hmm. uh, really good depiction of ghosts, really good depiction of time travel, and really good depiction of being in space. What more can you want out of life? I was done. You know, that was a very satisfying childhood for me. I like that. What about you, Ben? Do these fall into your childhood, or um, are you a child of the the 2010s? Well, I'm I'm, I'm definitely not a child of the 2010s. Uh, certainly, Star Wars was up there. That was a that was a big moment growing up where we we uh, brought the VCR down to the good TV to watch Star Wars. <laughs> so we. Uh, Oh my god, that's so 80s. <laughs> um, but I think for me it was it was that in Jurassic Park, and yeah. perhaps 
you know, I know some people had the Jurassic Park 2 moment like you were describing with uh, Ghostbusters 2. But for mm. me, dinosaurs were dinosaurs and I didn't really care. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Even when I was young, you could see the form where I was becoming the master of film and television. It had very discerning tastes. And you two just enjoyed everything. And, and I, I definitely envy that for sure. Uh, but I will tell you, one of the things I, I definitely enjoyed about this, and I'll just mention this briefly, the number of callbacks that this movie had to the original, uh, the homages, the 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 um, the mentions, the, all the cute little Easter eggs. I loved it. A couple of my favorites, of course, uh, are you know Egon's collection of spores, molds, and fungus, um, the Twinkie in the glove box, the mini Stay Puft Marshmallow Men, uh, and it's the symmetrical book stacking. I, I mean, I loved it. If anything, I have to say. I thought this movie kept true to the original universe, but didn't add much. They were so focused on adding all these cute little things that I definitely appreciated, but I kind of wish they had, you know, pushed the, the, the universe forward a little bit, if I would. Well, speaking of pushing universes forward, I think there's a little, Dan, and speaking of callbacks and other things, I know it's early in the show, but I do have to make yeah. a callback to my mug, because as much yeah. as I love my I Am The Physics Phenom mug, I really want a dinosaurs or dinosaurs, and that's just good enough for me T-shirt. I mean, when I heard that, like, I, I had a flashback to what would I want on a T-shirt, um, yeah. which brought me back to what I said in the opening. You know, when I was when I was at Princeton, the physics department, I was, you know, not to admit my nerdiness, I was vice president of the Society of Physics Students. Um, Nerd. And we needed T-shirts, and I really, we we really were pushing for back off, ma'am. We're scientists. As mm -hmm. the physics department T-shirt, um, it did not get accepted. I feel like the faculty did not appreciate and understand Ghostbusters <laughs> the way they should. So yeah. um, you, uh, that's another one you can, you know, come forward with Dan and, and you know achieve my childhood dream there. I love that. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll send you one that says that. I mean, I would love a shirt that says, "If someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes." Um, that's that's a, that's another another great line. Uh, but you know, this is you know callbacks. We just did an episode on Stranger Things, and I got to tell you, this there, there's the, the lead guy, Trevor. He's an actor on Stranger Things. There's a lot of connection. There's not really ghosts, so to speak, but there's a strong. You know, if this is the 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 regular universe, Stranger Things is the upside down to the Ghostbusters world, uh, I think. Um, there's kids in here as well, but Ben, they're not screaming. They're in peril, but I think they handle it quite well. Yeah, the, I, I like the kids who act intelligently. And outside of the uh, poorly thought out drive through downtown, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> through the, the town yeah. in Oklahoma, where yeah. they like blow up half the town... I feel like they handled them pretty themselves pretty well and were pretty smart. You know, when they see the the mine shaft full of fire and mm -hmm. scary stuff, they don't go down. They <laughs> they back away mm -hmm. right there. I mean, that that tells you all you need to know about <laughs> these children. Well, there were two kids that were sitting in an old like an old uh, manual elevator uh, to a mm -hmm. mine shaft, just hovering over what was probably a a shaft going down fifty you know, feet or whatever, a hundred feet or that was scary to me. That seemed pretty stupid. Yeah, uh, but you probably shouldn't stay on that, but at least they yeah. got off of it. Once things, bad things happened. 
Yes, that is true. That is very true. Uh, but before we move on, I got to say we, we're going to put a poll on the website on, on our social media as well. Um, what is cuter, a mini Stay Puft Marshmallow Man or Grogu uh, from from The Mandalorian? <laughs> I mean, that is a, that's a tough call for me. Uh, I don't know about you guys. That, that is um, an excellent you, poll, Dan. Do you like that? <laughs> that I love that. Good. Well, so we're in the middle of a podcast. I think the three of us can agree to that. Now, one of the things that, that I loved about this movie is there's a kid named Podcast, and this kid reminded me of me, which made me think that there's other characters that remind us of, of the three of us. But this kid is a great shameless self-promoter, you know, better th than I could muster. And before we move on, I got to point this out to the world. Whenever I do sound tests, I ask people to tell a mundane story about their day instead of testing, testing, one, two, three. That's exactly what this kid does. And is this being, you know, um, our Halloween, this is our second, or this is our real Halloween episode. Stranger Things is our, our previous two-part Halloween episode. He podcast wants to do his own Halloween episode. Uh, I just had to start this off. I couldn't wait till my errors, editions, and omissions section because this guy encompassed. He was me um, when I was a kid, and I felt like, Ben, you reminded me so much of Phoebe, who is the BA um, kind of female lead in this character, in, in this in this movie, and Denon, you know, Dr. Gubenstein, or you know, Dr. <laughs> Gruberson, that was his name. Uh, he reminded me of you a little bit. Uh, so I feel like we could have been on Ghostbusters. I, I agree with you, Dan, and I, I don't mind that analogy because his excitement of science is, is you know, very appropriate. It's definitely my excitement for science. The only thing I would never, I think, in my right mind do is teach summer school to any level of children um, yeah, in, in right. the well, either did he. area. <laughs> either um, did he, and, by the way. <laughs> and he really, he just put on videos and left. So, you know, yeah. um, I, I, I guess there's an alignment there. Yeah, I, I hope, Dr. Dan, you would do a better job than just uh, playing random movies that don't have anything to do with <laughs> I would six. pick much better movies to play while I left the room and ignored them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I got to say, you know, Ben, it's not an insult. I think, you know, Phoebe, while a female, you're clearly all man. But um, she reminded me she kind of had that, you know, that love of science, the, you know, the love of gadgets. And really is the one who kind of saves the day there. Um, so she, it, she kind of reminds me of you a little bit. Well, thank you, Dan. And I, I, I would certainly be the one who would be uninterested in watching Cujo in, uh, in science class. So, <laughs> so that's <laughs> they got that part right. The other thing I would like to point out, Ben, is, you know, if you look at what happened, Phoebe is the one who correctly uses the technology and figures out how to actually do things. I am mm -hmm. much more aligned with the uh, the teacher type because he is the one who stupidly electrifies the trap and releases the monster. And mm -hmm. and most mm -hmm. of my actual uses of gadgets in my life have led to similar failures. I have yet yeah. to release an evil alien spirit that will bring a god to the universe. Thank goodness. Um, but but generally, that is the more norm for my scientific experiment. So I feel those two aspects: success versus you know, um, exciting, tragic failure from which you learn. He learns. Yeah, and I do learn course. from my tragic failures. Um, but I do feel those are similar characteristics um, among us. Mm -hmm. well, and I also make podcasts yeah. that, that nobody listens to. So uh, <laughs> podcasts and I are, are you know, we're two, two sides of the same coin. Uh, but, you know, when, when, when you're looking at the, you know, living people, you know, like us human beings walking around in reality, you know, the opposite side, the other side of our coin is a ghost, right? I mean, this is people who are dead and come back to life uh, sort of in an energetic form. It's very, very weird how it works because ghosts, 
in this in this world are in some ways very different than how we think of ghosts in our reality. Uh, but I think we have to lay the groundwork here, guys, that we are going to assume that ghosts exist in our world. How would it, how would it work? And ex- assume that ghosts exist in this world. How would it work? I think that's the only way because the, uh, the jury's kind of out on it. Well, what I like about this world of ghosts, Dan, is they don't really focus on the traditional idea of a dead person's spirit that's come back, right? Some of the ghosts are humanoid, and you would imagine are connected to um, people. But a lot of the ghosts are just strange blobs that do interesting things. Like there's the ghost in Afterlife who seems to really like to just eat metal. Um, And what I like is the focus on ectoplasma. Ectoplasms, I, I pronounce that ectoplasm very weirdly, singular. But no, no, you got it. Just, just no sing, yeah. no plural. No plural. Ectoplasm. No. You know, ca- kind plasm. of ectoplasm. You know, I'm, I'm having a Target <laughs> moment here. Uh, yeah, for those who don't get that, that, see the earlier episode. <laughs> the Forno <laughs> moment for sure. Oh, right. Every every moment where I try and say the word pheromone, um, <laughs> you did it. I did it. You know, yeah. but but it's it it implies that these things are deeply connected to plasmas. And that's mm-hmm. going to be a theme I hope our listeners pay close attention to because it is a way of giving them some material reality in the world. And we can really – I mean a plasma is a set of charged particles that do interesting things. They can right. be hot. They can be cold. They can be strong. And they have certain properties and they hold together. So I love these as plasmas. And if we start from that point, Dan, I think you have a much stronger base in real physics for these ghosts to be understood. Hmm. Okay. Well, one of the things, I I like that. I want to pause on that for one second, because one of the things that I was thinking about was this manipulation of the real world, right? So when we see um, Egon, uh, so he dies earlier in this episode, right when the movie comes out and he becomes a ghost, he starts manipulating a chessboard. When you look at, you know, ghosts here, uh, this ghost stories that you hear, there's a, an ability to affect living people. Sometimes people feel they've been hit. There's scratch marks on them, marks. And Ben, this reminds me of something you said earlier about psychic phenomenon where it requires a lot of energy to reproduce. And I feel like in some ways this is a similar theory, but there's no um, like organic base for it, right? I mean, it's all basically... Um, you know, uh, a creature or an entity trying to sum up the energy to be able to do that telekinetic stuff that you talked about. So anyway, it feels like that phenomenon, you know, disembodied in a way. Yeah, that, that's exactly right, Dan. It, what's interesting about it is, as, as we discussed before, it, takes, it would take a lot of energy to make things like telekinetic, to create telekinetic effects. Uh, for something to move on its own through electricity and magnetism, or maybe gravity manipulation too, is, which is also a possibility, uh, it would require a lot of energy. And it would also require a projection of that energy from somewhere. And so what's interesting about the ghosts is if they're beings that are still in our world, then you know, maybe, they're, maybe they have this um, ability to kind of manifest you know, physical bits that do the motion, right? Like Egon maybe manifests the, the tip of his thumb so he can push the, the chest piece. But in reality, that has to be a projection of, of that being from somewhere else to project that energy transfer. It can't just be 
a thing floating around in our world. Because if it was, you know, that kind of amount of energy, I think, would be detectable mm-hmm. in a much stronger way than just like the little, you know, detection wand that we see Phoebe walking around with. Right. See, and this is where, though, I really like the plasma connection, Dan okay. and Ben, is, is fundamentally plasmas are charged collections of particles. And mm-hmm. the fundamental way we interact with each other or things interact in our world is all through electricity and magnetism. You know, we think about it as pushing and pulling and friction and this and that, but it's all the electrons interacting with the electrons. So once you, once you posit a core sort of structure that is a charged particle structure, yes, it does need a source of energy to keep itself alive. Like we need energy, we eat food. So you mm-hmm. would ask, you know, what keeps the plasma structure going? But it does two cool things. Charged particles, as they sort of move around and accelerate and do stuff, um, only interact with light of certain wavelengths. So it becomes perfectly reasonable that depending on the behavior of the charged particle entity, it would either be invisible or visible. So right Mm. away, charged particle plasmas explain the visibility or invisibility of ghosts. Two, because they're fundamentally charged, they can interact with the world. And three, to Ben's point, depending exactly on the sort of amount of energy there, the nature of their motions, what radiation spectrum they admit in, they might be easier to detect, but they might, te- they might take the funky wand um, that, that they use because they might, for instance, radiate very directionally. And if mm-hmm. you're not pointed in the right way, you don't detect them. So as with everything that we discuss on the show, the source of energy is always the mystery. Right. Um, but the mm-hmm. consistency of a plasma being is, is is very appealing to me from my physics perspective. Hmm. Well, and, and you know, and the ghosts seem to have their own biology and and, and sentience, right? I mean, they they are yeah. aware of what they're doing; they're making decisions, uh, and that makes it interesting because everything that you're saying leads to if we know there's a ghost, we can see it, we we have evidence of it, so to speak. Well, how do we detect it? Right. Like in this movie and in the franchise, there's detecting ghosts is key. You know, even in our world as well, people are always trying to figure out how do we know when a ghost is there? How do we know what's how can we tell that it's interacting with us? How is it doing that? And so what you're saying, I think that leads right down the path to how do you detect it? And then, um, then I want—I'm curious your thoughts on that. And then, Ben, how would you create one of those little uh, one of the wands, which is an EKE meter, PKE meter, I believe, psychic energy meter? Uh, how would you create one of those given the the physics involved? Well, in my um, understanding of this world, as these as plasma beasts, the nice thing is they're just emitting radiation in the various electromagnetic spectrums, and so really, you're 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 gonna be making sort of a very, very broad band electromagnetic detector, um, unless you really know exactly like these plasma creatures emit in certain frequencies. So like most detectors, because antennas have to be a size that matches the wavelength you want to detect, you know, I know we're going to trigger Ben here because we're going to talk about antennas, which right. is a, you know, <laughs> a, a sore spot for Ben. It's a Halloween episode, Denon. <laughs> it's yeah. a Halloween episode. It's all right. Yeah. So, so we can be scary. So, you know, trigger warnings, we like to say in the, in the world these days. Um, but, but you, you know, it's detecting the multipurpose uh, antenna. What I really like about their detection device mm-hmm. um, that I'm really interested in Ben's opinion on is, you know, the detection piece 
is is basically an antenna of the right type to detect the radiation you want to look at. But what I love is the user interface design, right? Mm -hmm. And this is where, you know, people like Apple really took off. It wasn't so much the the cell phone, right? It's all the user interfaces and all the stuff they right. think about with that. And yeah. so I love like that it has little arms that raise up and blink. Like there is no <laughs> need for that. Except it's super cool design. So from an engineering perspective, as a non-engineer, I love the design features. But So maybe that will help mitigate a little bit, Ben, the antenna trigger. You can talk about the user interface <laughs> instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that the, you make the, the, the most important point there is that there's either electromagnetic waves uh, being detected or potentially even just direct um, matter detected. Like let's say it's it's a plasma that's like just emitting a bunch of electrons and the way the chess piece moves is you negatively charge the piece and then by continuing to fire more electrons it repels it and it and it moves um so with that you could actually detect it by you know little like static electricity tests see if you get hmm. shocked when you uh touch the chess piece although you might need a metal chess pieces for that to really work well yeah. um but but what i the the important thing about the antenna i think is I think you hit on a good point with the user interface that you don't need those bars to flip up and whatever to detect. But what what it does, or you, you probably don't, there could be a, maybe an antenna design reason for it. But I think it's probably more just as a, one, an homage to old divining rods and how mm -hmm. and detect and those kind of old systems. But also we, we know what's important, you know, humans are a lot, can be very good at detecting um, exaggerated motion that you would have on those those bars. And so by having them move, it gives you a much better kind of feedback sense by having them move up and down mm -hmm. a lot better than like, you know, bars wiggling on a screen or something like you can just you just have the more innate, strong feedback that would allow you to detect a ghost better. I love the dowsing rod mentioned, by the way. That's cool. Yeah. And as someone who needs reading glasses, having bars move um, would make me way more comfortable with my device than having to take my glasses out and read the display every time I was trying to worry if there was a ghost near me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is important because what's interesting, you know, uh, I will say, you know, we haven't talked a lot about ghosts on this show, but and I, I, I'm not a fan of ghosts in our real world, right? I mean, you guys, I've talked about this privately, but paranormal investigators, I think, are the charlatans of our age. Uh, the types of exaggerations that people have and the way they describe things, um, to me personally, it seems ludicrous and, and uh, bull honky, as my grandmother would say. Uh, but there are weird experiences, right? Like I've had very strange experiences. On my show Fascinating Nouns, I talked to these guys called the Paranormal Rangers who they, they investigated. These are, you know, FBI level rangers on the Navajo Nation who saw, you know, entities drop coins, an unseen entity drop coins all over a house. That's weird. Um, I don't know where it comes from. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily a ghost. I don't know how you detect that except by the sound of coins dropping. But I, I do find it interesting that there, to me, there there is a phenomenon out there that's strange and odd. Do I think that you can play white noise and hear people talking? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely right. not. Could I be wrong? Yeah. But I don't think that I am. As, as Ben pointed out, I, you know, I, I'm rarely ever wrong. That seems weird to me. But the way you guys are describing this detection 
I think it works in the world of Ghostbusters as the biology you've, you've outlined, Denon. But I think in some ways, if we were to make some concessions on a ghost that could, that would, how ghosts could be explained in our world, some of these detectors also feel like they would work here as well. Uh, am I wrong in that, Ben? Is, is that true or, or not true? I think what's important here, Dan, is that these devices don't necessarily, in their detection me methods, follow anything but the laws of physics as, as we know it. The leap in Ghostbusters is what are these ghosts and where do they come from and how are they projecting their energy, not how are we detecting it. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's that part is all pretty plausible. Like if if ghosts are manifestations of of some sort of you know electromagnetic being, whether it's in our universe or another universe and it's just a projection, it would leave trails of that radiation and charge and all those stuff, which is what the Ghostbusters detect. That part is all plausible. The, mm -hmm. the, the question is, where? how are these beings existing in the first place? Yeah, and I think what's cool about Ghostbusters from a, a, a theme and a way they design their universe is even though they use the word psychic energy, all of the ghosts are fairly consistently some sort of plasma-based thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So they really acknowledge and this is the challenge with um, looking at ghost hunting in the modern world is I think people are not always able to make the, the decision of what they want the ghost to be. If a ghost is truly non-physical things, then by definition, it won't interact with the physical world. Right. That's just sort of a definition. Mm -hmm. If the ghost is physical, then it will be most likely something electromagnetic based. That's just the main mode of interaction in the physical world. And that's why mm -hmm. I like the ectoplasm idea, the, the plasma structure underlying. Now, you do need, as we said earlier, to make the next step of where do they get their energy. So I right. love the metal-eating ghost because one of the main uses of plasmas is as plasma cutters to cut up metal. Like, yeah. we know there's a direct connection between plasma cutters and metal. And, you know, maybe... You can also convert that. You're just getting more molecules off of it and, and using it, it you know, as a source of uh, ectoplasm for yourself. So thinking of the energy source is always interesting, Dan. But yeah, from a detection point of view, if you are going to interact with the physical world, you need to do something physical. And most likely that is electricity and magnetism. It's always getting from the non-physical to the physical. That is the hard part. That, that makes sense. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And the ectoplasm, I want to mention the spiritualist movement later on, because I think that that ties into both your ectoplasm and my uh, distrust of paranormal investigators of today. But this idea that they're that they're energy-based, you know, the next thing we got to do, we, we, we've defined a ghost, we've detected a ghost. Well, you got to you got to trap the ghost, right? I mean, they're ghost busters, you know. If you got a ghost, who are you going to call, right? We've all we've all heard the tagline. So, how do you trap a ghost if we believe that they are that they're energy beings or, or plasma based um, creatures? How would you trap that? Especially Denon, if you got a ghost who can eat through metal, and your trap is made out of metal, uh, you got to have a pretty powerful electromagnetic field of some kind to keep it in, you know, keep it in check. And this is this is the beauty of the consistency of this world, Dan. Once mm -hmm. the the creature is fundamentally a plasma, that's just a set of charges, and it's the thing we know, the theory about the most. It's easy. You just make the right, as you said, magnetic field or electromagnetic containment. Mm -hmm. um, the fun thing is, it's often really hard to design 
the right magnetic field. This is why we don't have nuclear fusion quite yet, right? right. Because to do right. to do it at a high energy and a high pressure is hard to make it stable. Now, what they're doing is probably mid-energy, right? These ghosts are not certainly super hot charged plasmas. They're kind of, you know, room temperature slightly above. Um, so it makes perfect sense to, you know, trap them in these little boxes. Um, but what's cool is now we have way greater computational power with our computers to design the magnet magnets and their structure to make the electromagnetic field we want. It shows what a genius the Ghostbusters were in the original movie. They were designing this without the computational power we have now. Um, they were calculating it themselves, building it themselves. So they were they were ahead of their time, cutting edge um, magnetic field designers. I think what's interesting about this is is that that plasma effect. And I I, I did work on plasma containment uh, when I worked at uh, NASA, where you have in this case I think it was. I don't think it was actually a very hot plasma either. It was a noble gas that was in confined by permanent magnets and used as an electric propulsion for a rocket engine. And what's interesting about this is we used really, really strong magnets. <laughs> um, and it was not a very hot or <laughs> powerful reaction. Like the reactions that went on inside, of, or not even reactions, the, the plasma effects that went on inside of these um, engines had... Newton, single Newton levels of force, like very, very tiny forces. And so when I think about a, a ghost plasma being that can shoot, eats metal and then shoots it out like bullets, like that's some real force and you're going to mm -hmm. need some real powerful systems. And I like that they show in the movie, like when they're trying to do the traps and like the, it like browns out and all the power dies and, you know, has these giant capacitors, but it's not enough power. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a really important point because these traps have to, have some incredibly high amounts of electricity to create an electromagnetic um, an, an electromagnet uh, containment because there's no way a permanent magnet would be able to do what you need to do with these kinds of high energy plasma beams. Well, it's interesting because you know you've got these high energy containment units. They are small. The individual traps are small. Very small. Uh, I want to talk about the large underground trap. The capacitors you're talking about. We see them in in the movie. Uh, it's basically a series. Of, of traps set up, but I think it also doubles as like a force field, like a reverse trap. Instead of trapping the ghost inside, it keeps them out, uh, which which I thought was interesting. Uh, so, Denon, what about keeping these things in parallel, right? So you have all these traps, you have this big system. I imagine if, if, it, if it's incredibly energetically expensive to keep one ghost trapped in a small containment unit, keeping them all... Uh, you know, you're just multiplying it by, um, you know, roughly uh, a gigathousand or something. A couple gigawatts, well, you know, gigawatts. Gig yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> it's right? an interesting problem that I hadn't really thought of first watching the movie. But, you know, I think you actually, you know, design these containments, as you said, parallel and series matters here. The words matter. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. you, I, I'm willing to bet this was more of a parallel design. And the beauty yeah. of parallel is what you're doing is the voltage across each element is still the same. Right. Right. And mm -hmm. what you're doing, if you watch, is you're breaking the ghost itself into pieces that each chunk can be handled by that particular voltage difference. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you, you, you have now you have to power a lot of these and you have to sort of do some calculations and such. But if you put them in series, you're in real problem because each voltage jump adds. 
and you're you're mm-hmm. you're now using a much 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 higher voltage. Right. Um, and I also think this shows a little bit, you know, to Ben's point, right? This this energy requirement. I do wonder if part of what you do, if you is you disrupt the plasma a bit as it goes into the trap, lowering its energy, right? We talked about these things have an energy source. I think the trap does two things. It keeps the plasma being in it, but it also disrupts and disconnects it from mm-hmm. its core energy source so that you can probably trap it at a lower energy once you get it in. And so I really like the idea of these in parallel, breaking the creature into pieces, putting each piece in and doing it individually. Still a lot of energy, but you're, you're, you're trading off voltage um, for, for perhaps the amount of current you need. So it's a, it's a subtle effect in electronics, which the electrical engineer will correct all mistakes I just made. <laughs> no, I th- no I, you made a very good point, uh, Dr. Jen, because we see in this movie specifically that we see the trap that had been lying around for maybe decades with a mm-hmm. ghost in it, and mm-hmm. it still is holding the ghost. And I don't think it was plugged in or anything. So clearly <laughs> mm-hmm. there's either there, there must be some sort of low energy sustainment mode that these things can do. Um, and part of that could also be part of what we see with the proton packs, right? You're using, you're firing protons at the ghosts to neutralize them. Presumably that would imply that the ghosts are negatively charged. So part of this also is you're probably discharging the ghosts a bit, discharging this plasma, um, not enough to kill the bean, but enough to weaken it so it can't, you know, easily escape your trap. One of the things, so if you want to know more about proton packs, you know, our second episode ever is exclusively dedicated to the proton pack. Uh, but, you know, Denon, uh, it's a Halloween episode, but, well, both of you, I'm not going to put this on Denon, both of you got a little gruesome here. A, you know, these are these are ghosts that were breaking up into multiple different pieces, which is the equivalent of chopping up a human body, uh, individual pieces for disposal. And then, Ben, you're talking about the discharging of these of these creatures, I mean that's like suffocating or slowly sucking out the blood of a human being. Uh, this is gruesome, guys, and this seems like a horrible death. This is a ghost, you know. I mean, are we to look at these ghosts as as other beings that we should preserve and try to capture uh, humanely, or are you guys okay with you know almost an extermination type of of approach to to ghosts? Well, well, let's be clear: the only being we break into pieces is Gozar. Gozar. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, the Gozerian. At the, uh, the, mm-hmm. the, right, who, who literally um, has no compunction about killing you in you know, less than 10 seconds. Probably mm-hmm. the smartest bad guy ever. Very rarely gloats. The only mistake Gozar seems to make is taking the time to turn into the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man in the first um, yeah. you know, <laughs> in the first one. Um, yeah. First thing Gozar does when, when she becomes alive is... You know, when the guy offers to rule the world um, with her, she just rips him in half, you know, mm-hmm. like doesn't even waste time. Yeah. Um, um, obviously distracted by really bad jokes. A good tip to know for future if you ever run into mm-hmm. an old god. Um, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and obviously very interested in asking you if you are a god um, before before possibly killing you. That's the only possible delaying tactics. Mm-hmm. But given, given Gozar's you know, desire to just kill and destroy everything, Dan, mm-hmm. I'm okay with ripping her into multiple pieces and sticking her in traps. Um, okay. And the other ghost, you know, it's, it's, it's not quite, I mean, you know, you described Ben's theory as like ripping out the, I, I don't know. I think it's more like 
you know, tapping them unconscious before you, you know, tie them up. Um, I'm going to mildize it, um, if that's a word. It is now. Yeah. Well, I, I think what's also important to think about is is whether these are, you know, ectoplasmic beings living in our world or if they're uh, projections of ectoplasmic beings from another world. And if that's the case, I think you're only killing their projection, not them themselves. And so they're they're hopefully okay where they're you know in their own part of the you know mirror universe or whatever to go you know go back to stranger things a little bit mm-hmm. um and we're just inhibiting their ability to you know slime us or whatever they want to do well i do love the way you guys have kind of you know explained <laughs> away your actions uh, rationalized them uh, it still feels like the brutalizing uh, of the ghost population uh, you know, but but I want to mention really quickly here before we finish up, you know, this is tied into the spiritualist movement. And I love that because, you know, Evo Shandor is very similar to Aleister Crowley. Um, you know, a lot of these groups, there were, you know, anyone who's a fan of H.P. Lovecraft knows that the spiritualist movement in 1920s is all about trying to, these cults trying to end the world. Uh, this is a very fun mythos uh, that I really like. And I got to say, Denon, you know, uh, Gozer the Gozerian is a strange name, but I did know a guy. Uh, he was my boss when I was in college. He was a hall director. His name was Hugh Mann. Uh, but that feels like goes of the Gozerian, right? Like a human <laughs> named Hugh Man. Uh, so that was, you know, uh, there's something to that. Uh, but I think, you know, I think we we could probably put together a little team here, guys. I mean, I think we've kind yeah. of, you know, figured out the the whole ghost busting part of this. But if we haven't. You know, this is the place to talk about. It's our errors, additions, and omissions section. Things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, are there any tips, tricks, or, or, or anything that you've got about busting ghosts that you want to mention that we didn't quite get to? Well, I have, I have a couple quick things. One is I do want to reiterate what I said. I find this the most consistent sort of universe when it comes to ghosts because the plasma basis works for the ghosts. It works for the detection. It works for the trapping. It works for the plasma beans. So really good there. I want to go back to something Ben said. I'm not so disturbed by the kids messing up the city. That was their first use of a proton pack. Mm -hmm. Um, That is hard to control. It has a lot of recoil. So, you know, Phoebe, uh, you know, missing a few times, doesn't bother me. I am a little disturbed as to why they did. They were a very smart group, made very few mistakes. Yeah. Um, the one I do worry about is when they had the ghost trapped, why they didn't just stop the car, right? Why mm-hmm. did they keep driving? Because mm-hmm. um, they had the ghost in the beam. I'm not sure, but it was the brother driving who I have to say, I liked him better in this movie as a character. I was a little worried. I'm glad to know it's not the actor that bothers me, but Mike, he plays Mike in Stranger Things, right? Yep, Isn't that that's his right. name? Mike Wheeler, right. yeah. Mike in Stranger Things, I find the most useless character in television. So, to go somewhere dark, Dan, that's usually your job. I um, know. But, you know, so, but I, I was worried when I saw him show up. But, you know, he, he, he did it for me. And then my only other error addition, I, I love this movie. I found its consistency amazing. I was thrown when they pull the, the, the old ghost-busting uniforms out of the closet that somehow they were child-sized, mid-child-sized, <laughs> and slightly taller child-sized. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure, um, unless the grandfather had planned for the kids to show up and had mm-hmm. them made ahead of time. Um, the sizing of the uniforms was the only minor plot flaw 
I found if I'm going to get picky. So more than my usual Aaron editions, Dan, um, but I had a lot with this, but I, I genuinely just absolutely loved it. Love the consistency in the ghost um, physics. So there you go. Well, I got to say, you know, I, I am with you on the size thing. And, you know, but if you go to our website and order one of our shirts, you can get any size that you want. There's not just large <laughs> sizes. Uh, and maybe they're using, you know, the same the same company we used to, to print those. Uh, but well, what about you, Ben? Is there anything about this movie that you wanted to mention that we didn't quite get to? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, Grandpa Egon the Ghost could have easily sewn those uniforms for them while they were <laughs> out on their first adventure, uh, yep. blowing up the city, you know. <laughs> uh, but I, I think for me, I, my favorite thing in this is the memorable quote of science is the safety pin in the nipple of academia. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Maybe maybe Denon has a have some thoughts about that, but it uh it, it made me really think, and I, I'm still tr- having trouble with it, of what, what, is, what is engineering in academia, if that's what science is. Yeah, yeah. It's making me really think, I'll tell you that. Well, I will say, Ben, I love the quote, and I still have no idea what it means. I'm with you. I have no idea. Uh, I, I love the quote as well. Uh, there are plenty of great quotes from this movie and and from the other movie. Uh, but you know, I gotta give a, I gotta give a shout out here. I just did an episode of Fascinating Nouns on the Milgram obedience experiments. Uh, the the uh, experiment in the beginning of Ghostbusters where he's shocking. Um, a guy who's trying to psychically predict what's behind one of the cards that's based on the milligram experiments. And we see this in the uh, in one of the post credit scenes. We see him doing this uh, with um, can't remember her name. Sigourney Weaver is the actress's name. Um, but we see that in the, in the post credit scenes. Uh, Polaroid. I'm sorry. Polaroid podcast takes a Polaroid with his glasses and he starts shaking it. There's no person in his generation who would know that that's what you people did with Polaroids, even though it has no chemical effect. Uh, that really surprised me. And then I do love that he ends up being covered in marshmallows because one of my favorite scenes in the first movie is at the end where they blow up the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Peter Venkman somehow comes out unscathed. He has barely any any marshmallow on him. Podcast is covered in it at the end of this episode, uh, end of this movie. And of course. You know, Dr. Gruberman is a seismologist, and for some reason, there's an inordinate amount of seismologists in horror movies, not the least of which uh, is in this movie and in Tremors. Uh, Very interesting stuff, and I don't know why gigantic booms have something to do with paranormal activity. (laughs) But of course, if we have missed anything else, we covered a lot here. I'm out of breath. We covered a lot. But if there's anything else that we want to miss that you want to talk about, you can find the show on social media. Get in touch with us. We're on Twitter at FGGBTPod, Facebook at FGGBT, and of course the website is FGGBT.com. But you can get in touch with us individually. Dennett, where can people find you? Well, you can find me at Denon Michael um, on Instagram and, and Twitter. But if you want to find me on Facebook, you got to stick in a prof there. It's at Prof Denon Michael. Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B S I E P S E R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. So if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, Make sure you rate, review, and don't forget to subscribe. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. 
And finally, this show contains powerful information that can help you exert some authority over both our plane and the ethereal plane. But you want to be careful with this information. You know, you can use it for good, you can use it for evil, but we always tell you on this show, you want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.